Greetings and welcome into College Golf Talk, Episode 5. Steve Burkowski, Brentley Romine with you. And the calendar says March. Things are certainly heating up. Two big events for the men wrapping up on Tuesday in Vegas and in Cabo. We will dig deeper into those. But initial reactions, Brentley, with what Arizona State was able to do at the Cabo event. Well, it was Super Tuesday yesterday, Burka. Oh, I like that. In, in more ways than one. Politics <laughs> and, uh, and college golf, or men's college golf specifically. But... Yeah, I mean, Cabo Collegiate, Southern Highlands, uh, we'll talk about Cabo first, but Arizona State won their first two events of the fall. Then they were kind of a different different team, you know, some guys in the lineup, some guys out of it. The most impressive part about their eight-shot win in Mexico yesterday was the fact that they did it without their best player. Kevin Yu being um, in Orlando this week with us at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. He got that spot via the Palmer Cup last year. But to do it without him, to have all five guys at T14 or better, um, just a you know, uh, just a testament to the depth that Matt Thurman has built in uh, uh, in in Tempe. It's a statement win, in my opinion, for the Sun Devils. And again, remember, in a couple months' time, they will be hosting the NCAA championships at Greyhawks. So the Sun Devils on the short list of many to contend in May at the year's final event. And then you alluded to it. The other big event in Vegas, the Southern Highlands Collegiate, at one of the toughest golf courses these young men will see all season long. We'll keep it in the Pac-12. A big, big statement as well by the Trojans in Southern Cal. Yeah, I was talking to USC um, coach uh, Chris Ambry last night just briefly, and he uh, mentioned that he didn't really, uh, you know, he, he would have hate to have found out his his team's odds entering that tournament because they were I believe the maybe fourth lowest ranked team in that field you had seven top 10 teams but three days and very tough windy conditions that they're not used to in in LA and they're able to uh you know get the job done and beat a, a lot of really good elite teams not that we're condoning gambling they could have found out the odds real closely down there in the strip. <laughs> Someone's got to have them. You're right. right. Just give it time. Uh, we will find that. And speaking of Chris Zambri, let's bring him in. The victorious head coach of the University of Southern Cal Trojans. Chris, appreciate you getting up early, joining us on a Wednesday morning. The initial reaction, 12 to 18 hours removed from a victory. What kind of... Uh, what kind of vibe is surrounding your team uh, and yourself right now after uh, getting the job done? Hey guys, uh, thanks for having me on. Um, the vibe, everyone's, I, you know, sometimes it's hard to know how much the guys on your golf team care about your golf team. It's just, just it's such an individual sport, and and you're always hoping that they care as much as the coaches. But sometimes you just don't know because in the end, it's it's kind of on their own shoulders, and, and they are concerned about their careers and. But gosh, my guys were so excited and happy yesterday, and it was really good to see. Uh, we almost had, you know, a perfect week with Yushin almost winning, and I had some concern that he would be down, but he was super pumped up, and that, you know, made us all happy because um, he's kind of a leader, even though he's a freshman. And um, we're just excited and ready to to take on the rest of the year. Let me follow up on something you just said there, Chris. You've been at this for a while, and you wonder how invested these young men can be in a team, in a program, in an ultimate goal. What have you learned through your years of trying to make sure 
they are all in and realize that it's a little bit more than just themselves? Gosh, I'm still learning. You know, <laughs> I, I'm. I, it's just, um, you know, in, in our case, it, it's a little unique. We, we have uh, some internationals, and you know, they don't, you know, grow up in the same kind of college, being a big deal environment as as you know some kids who were born and raised in the U.S. And so sometimes it's hard to know if if they're invested in the team. Um, it's just a concern that probably all coaches have, but I think might get a little bit exacerbated for us because we don't have a lot of kids born here. And I think it just leads to the thought that maybe sometimes you feel like you might just be a commodity. Like if it wasn't us, it'd be somewhere else. And they, in the end, it's about their own games. And those might be unwarranted concerns, but sometimes it's, it's a fear that I have that maybe I'm not doing enough to to try to get them super invested in USC and our program. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I want to see guys, you know, my idea of being bought in is when you have a bad day and the team wins, they, you can still be really excited and happy for the team. And that's what I saw out of all of our guys this week. And, and that made me really happy because I think it, it lends itself to certainly a better environment to, to live in, you know, day in and day out, which we all are, are hyper invested, you know, giving 20 hours a week plus to this. Um, but it just makes me happy to see a kid like you should, uh, you know, shouldn't have won the tournament, but he had a really good week and almost won. But for him to be, you know, to put out an uh, Instagram post saying he's excited for the squad, and that, that just makes me so happy. And um, it makes me feel like we're moving in the right direction. Chris, you've, you've had a lot of studs um, in L.A. throughout the years, from Crocker uh, and Rico Hoey to most recently Justin Suh and now Yushin. I was able to spend a little bit of time with him a few weeks ago at the Southwestern, but can you just talk about just what kind of a kid he is and also how his game stacks up against some of the best players that you've coached and been around? Um, he's, a very, he's a very confident kid. Um, he's very certain of what he wants to do with his life. Um, which is, I think, a positive. You know, those are the kind of things that get people out of bed every day, regardless of how yesterday went. And um, as far as his golf game goes, it's really high level. Like he, it, it's high level, and it's it's um, it's advanced. It's the kind of game you would see out of somebody who's been probably on the tour for at least a few years with his attention to detail and knowledge of, of things that you, you tend to start to learn in college about the importance of yardage, distance control, and having a bunch of shots around the greens. And he just comes in at, at a place that's a little more advanced than, than anybody I've seen. Um, he, he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball straight. He just started to, he just started he played an exclusive pull cut when he showed up and he's, he's starting to temper that a little bit and, and capable of hitting some straight balls and even capable of turning one when he has to. And then around the greens and on the greens, he can get really hot, which is the, the kind of thing that you see in people who win tournaments is, you know, 
he's a, he's a good putter, but he can putt great. And that's kind of what it takes to win on tour. And that's what it takes to win in college. And he can go on some crazy runs around the greens and on the greens. And he, he had a nice week this week. He, he putted well all three days. He gained in strokes, gained world. He gained each day. And, um, he's, he's very good. I'm glad you brought up, you know, his his ball flight and how he's been able to kind of change that and hit more straight balls because a few years ago I was on campus and kind of watched how how testing is a big part of 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 your development of of your players. Can you just maybe talk a little bit uh more about some of the drills that you do and how those um in turn help guys like like Yushin improve weaknesses in their game? Sure. Um I'll give you an example in the ball striking world. A lot of times when guys play, um, I know, I, I mean, a lot of the stuff I just learned from my own bad habits as a player, but you, you kind of base how you're doing everything on what you shoot that day. And, and what you shoot that day might be a combination. Well, it is a combination of 10 things at least. And um, somehow getting it up and down reflects well on your long game, which is really odd, but it does. And so what we're trying to do is help, kind of break the parts out um, and test them individually, test them on their own. How well do you get it online? And how, well do, are you, how well do you play bunker shots? And, and how well do you know your yardages? And so, uh, for instance, one test we have is just simply, it's 20 shots you hit at a target, and we use eight different clubs, and we just measure how far offline the ball lands. And, it, you know, when you, when you start to think about that test and you, you try to start, start poking holes in, the format there's really it's hard to poke holes in all we're doing is keeping track of where it lands in relation to a decided upon target it's it's not there's nothing really controversial or there's no way to really pick apart the test it's simply we just measure and um you know that's that's a test that we we call it an extreme line test and it's it's just you're hitting in two different yardage gaps um we can tell a lot about a guy's chances to, to compete at a high level for sure, for sure in college by this test. And, and he's shown up, he showed up very capable of doing the test. Um, you know, it's 20 shots. Like I said, yards off line. We're looking, you know, of our best players, we've seen a, a year long average of 95 at a Rico Hoey, which is just ridiculous <laughs> considering they're hitting, you know, three irons, four irons, and five irons. And, and like I said, it's just 20 shots, no throwouts. Um, and, but we, since Yushin's been around, we've just seen the fact that he can really control his ball. And even in the first semester when he was just hitting exclusive cuts, which I, I'm a big fan of one shot, um, and he was, and he was scoring nicely on the test. Uh, lowest average on the team, somewhere around probably 115 or so. And, you know, we'll, we'll have guys who sometimes average upwards of 200 on the test, which for us is just a sign that, you know, for things to go well for, for that kid who's averaging 200, um, he's going to have to get a little bit lucky when he hits the occasional foul ball. Just part of the preparation you do behind the scenes as you get ready for this group to potentially make a run. Chris, you take a look at what previous squads have done made it to the national championship match in 15 semis quarters the following two years what do you think this group has to do in the coming weeks with the nit and pasta tiempo and a couple other events on your schedule to maybe make you believe this is a special group and can do something come late april into may 
Um, you know, certainly finish near or at the top of these tournaments for starters, but, but then you start to break it down just by guy, you know, do I have five guys who can go? And, you know, I, I, I'm starting to see, you know, Kaito Nishi is a key part of our team. He's a returning all American and he hasn't had the kind of year he's wanted so far, but I have a lot of confidence in him because he can, he does everything well. Um, especially around the greens. He's a really good chipper and pitcher. And, and, you know, when I, the model that I looked at is Stanford last year, and, and they had they had five solid players, but two really amazing players who went on an amazing run. And I look at Yushin, and I look at Kaito, and I even look at Leon D'Souza as guys who might be able to come close to, you know, the way those, Brandon Wu and Isaiah Salinda played last year at the end of the year. And then to see a guy like Issei Tanabe go out and finish in the top 10 in the best field of the year so far gives me hope that we might have just enough firepower to contend. And then the other thing being that, yeah, this golf course we just played is, is going to be quite similar and set up to, to Greyhawk. Um, it'll be firm and fast, just like Southern Highlands was. And so, I don't, those are the things I'm looking for is just by each guy, you know, do we have the kind of lineup but like an ASU where we, we can have five guys finishing in the top 15. Um, I kind of need that kind of depth to survive the odd bad day by one or two players. Well, it certainly showed in Vegas at Southern Highlands, a big win for Southern Cal, sort of maybe propelling what could be a Stanford-like run from a year ago. Chris, congratulations once again to you and the team. Always appreciate catching up, my friend, and uh, we'll see you down the road soon. Yeah, guys, thanks so much for having me on. See you, Chris. All right, bye-bye. So let's continue that Southern Highlands. Always great to have... uh, Chris Zambri join us. A thoughtful. You get him going. He, he he shares some stuff maybe the average Joe doesn't know when you watch a college golf. Let's dig deeper. What's your reaction to what they did? Uh, and as you look at those final round scores, they were three over. Texas four under. Texas Tech seven under. They had a they had nervous moments coming down the stretch on I've been out there. That's one of the toughest golf courses these young men play all year long. So if you can succeed there usually a good indicator of what you might do the rest of the way. Yeah, it's a tough golf course in a dome, let alone when you add wind to the uh, you know, to the to the fray, but the thing that impressed me about USC is that normally when teams win, you kind of click on golf stat, you open up all the scores, and they and there's normally you know, you see a lot of guys around the top 10 or near the lead. Yushin Lin had a great week. Uh is uh, Tanabe had a good week. He finished T9, but they really ham, ham and egged it well. Um, Cameron Henry and Leon D'Souza ha- didn't have great final rounds, but they played amazing collectively in the first two rounds. So that's kind of the key because you can't afford, um, if we're talking about teams that maybe have aspirations of winning a national title, you can't afford to have a guy that's every round's going to be struggling to break 80. You just and it's just what Chris Zambri yeah, said. You've got to find a way for that four-slash-five guy to shoot par better once or twice a week. If you know he's a non-factor, it that, doesn't go well. That puts pressure on the other guys because it's almost like you're playing with, with four. And it's it's been a, it's been an odd year for, for Southern Cal. They, they had Charlie Ryder transfer after the fall. 
Uh, Kaito Onishi withdrew before the Southwestern with a neck injury. So they only played the four guys um, that event. And Yushin Lin also missed the the Nike in the fall because of the, the Asia Pacific. Obviously, he has the Masters on his mind. So there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, a lot of potential distractions. And I think Chris has done a good job of keeping that you know, keeping the morale high because when you're finishing 12th and 11th in some of these big events and you're thinking to yourself, man, these we're playing some really good teams and they're kicking our butts. Um, it's easy to get discouraged and a performance like this shows that they, they still have a lot of belief. Two things that stood out to me listening to Chris Zambri. He's still learning as a coach, 14th year at his alma mater. And it took me back a little bit, but I thought it was great candor of sometimes you wonder just how all in these young men can be. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks it's rah-rah. There are peaks and valleys, and let's be honest, it is a selfish, individual game that is somewhat convoluted into a team aspect when you think about college golf. I mean, so many guys say, oh, geez, they got to work on this. The scores need to be better. There's a lot more than just posting a number these these coaches deal with. Yeah, even going to, you know, which one, one of them just broke up with their girlfriend. You know, there's there's so many things that go into being a student athlete. And, and Zambri's had some of those players who were maybe a bit selfish um, and they didn't last long or those teams didn't achieve what, what they potentially could have achieved. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, always, it's always funny to, to talk to Chris because he's, he's so um, – he likes putting himself down in terms of how he was as a pro. I mean, he played six he years, play. six years on the nationwide tour, and probably one of the best short games, one of the best putters, you know, in the coaching community in college. Just not very long, which is kind of how this team is. And it was interesting last night when 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 we were talking about Greyhawk and how that course fits. A, a firm and fast course is going to play into the hands of USC. Now, if you get on a long, wet, 70, you know, course that's playing like, it seems like 7,700 yards, then they probably have no chance. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. Three years um, in, in their region, kind of, ha- having NCAAs. And hopefully, I mean, you got to get there first. But, um, yeah, definitely a team to keep an eye on. Texas, Texas Tech, Florida, Pepperdine rounding out the top five in Vegas. Pepperdine cooling off just a little bit, but they really dug themselves a big hole, 16 over in the opening round. Quickly, individually, how about Mr. Cootie from the Texas Longhorns, little 67, gets in a playoff. What could that do for him confidence-wise as Travis Vick, Cole Hammer, and others trying to you know, get the Longhorns uh, in the right place. Yeah. Again, we always talk about Texas in the spring. I feel like when we're on episode, what, 400 of this podcast, you know, and we're covering Cole Hammer's son, you know, Jack and (laughs) (laughs) Travis Fick's son, Michael and all them, you know, it's going to be the same story, just winning, winning in the spring, coming alive. I, I still don't think this team is anywhere close to where it's it's going to be toward the end of the spring because Parker Cootie won the tournament, shot a brilliant, you know, five under sixty seven, had a ball stuck in, uh, you know, stuck in a tree um, on the seventh hole, was able to make a forty footer for par, and then went on, you know, a tear of, I think it was like six birdies and eleven holes or something like that. But other than him, no one else really 
played that well. Cole Hammer's still stuck in whatever funk you know he's in. He had six straight bogeys on the back nine, which is not good. I think his score his score actually didn't count. Looking at the he shot three over seventy five, and and they threw him out in the final round. But no other guys inside the top twenty. So this is just one of those moments where Fields is gonna just have to just keep you know keep doing what he's doing as we as we say trust the process and eventually all this firepower is going to start firing you hope if you're john fields that's what's going to happen right we've said that for a lot (laughs) of this season but you can look at it both ways they didn't play great and they had a chance to win or what's going on boys I'm, i'm sure they're going to look at the positive nature of the result for Cootie and a second place finish. Uh, yeah, really cool for, for for Parker to get that first win and also earn an exemption into the 2020 Shriner. So that'll be his first PGA Tour start and um, definitely a player that needed a week like this to get that confidence rolling and then hopefully his teammates can follow suit. Let's uh, segue over to Vegas, Cabo, or excuse me, from Vegas to Mexico. Cabo like, del Sol. I like Vegas. I like to stay in Vegas. Arizona State. Have you been to Cabo? Under, I've not been to Cabo yet. The invite <laughs> has not been out there, but one of these days. ASU, 10 under, final round, big move up, their third win of the season. And again, like Pepperdine, a, a squad that has a lot of talent, a lot of depth, and maybe we're expecting more, and perhaps this was sort of the ignition to what uh, – the Sun Devils could do here in the next couple of months. Yeah, a lot of positives to to take away, you know, from from this week for this team. We already mentioned Kevin Yu not not being uh, a part of the lineup because he's got a tour exemption he's going to fulfill. But uh, David Puig, T10, his first top ten, and I guess it's not been three college events uh, for the uh, only in, er, early enrollee. Cameron Sisk, a guy who at the Southwestern, looked pretty lost. Um, didn't make the lineup for the team's next event. I think it was, would that have been, I forget what tournament it is, but did not make the lineup. I think it was the Prestige. Um, did not travel with the team to that and then comes out, gets the fifth spot. So you would assume that he would have been the guy who would have been left out if if Kevin was actually playing and finishes T10. So a great confidence boost for the reigning Pac-12 freshman of the year. And just a lot of guys, Mason Anderson, who played in uh, the U.S. Open at Aaron Hills. That's the first time I think I saw him play. A lot of talent. has been pretty consistent um, throughout his college career so far. He's a junior. Playing number one for them this week and delivered. So led the team with a T7 finish and you know, just beat, beat some really good teams. The, the Vegas field was probably a little bit tougher. Well, not probably. It is. But the Vegas field yeah, is was, better, but this is a tougher. really good, solid event. Yeah, and and in in pretty windy conditions too. It was blowing upwards of you know almost twenty miles per hour, and on a tough seaside golf course that no one had ever seen because this is the first year that they've they actually changed. They were at uh, Corencia for, yeah. for a few years, and now they just moved to Cabo del Sol. So for, from what I heard, pretty tough and twelve under in college golf. Um, you know, that's, that's not those 30 under 40 unders that we see in Hawaii sometimes. Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, Arizona, Baylor rounding out the top five. And, and keep an eye on the Aggies. Walker Lee wins by one. And, and JT Higgins, this group, the last couple of events, the past six or eight weeks, they've gone, at least in my estimation, of, okay, 
Maybe there's something coming together here. Hey, I'm a big fan covering this game for more than 20 years. It's about trying to peak whatever you want to call it. This is what matters moving forward. Every win's nice. You figure out your lineups. But as March moves on, in my opinion, you better know who your five are. Have that one back up in case things go wrong. But you can't just show up at regionals and expect to play great golf. So what I'm seeing from Texas A&M sort of intrigues me. Yeah, for for some reason, it always feels like Texas A&M isn't like a sexy pick. They're always kind of overlooked, and they got some some really hard-nosed players. Walker Lee's a tough kid. Um, goes out there, shoots bogey-free 7 under 64. Goes birdie eagle on his last two holes to, you know, to to win his third uh, collegiate title. But a lot of guys, I mean, some experience. Um, Brandon Smith didn't even play. Uh, he's a senior. Dan, Dan Erickson has a lot of experience. So a team that a couple years ago was number one for, for a good chunk of the season um, got to match play. Of course, obviously didn't win. But I was talking to Walker Lee last night on their car ride home because their plane actually broke down they had to they, so they they had to drive from san antonio after because they stopped there for customs then they had to drive the three hours back to college station so he had a lot of time to talk but he was just talking and about, he wanted to talk to you oh, he probably talked to <laughs> I, well his his favorite player is patrick reed maybe he called patrick up you know, but. whole other podcast there. <laughs> no, but uh, he he was saying how during the week at Cabo, some of the the some of his teammates were talking about how two years ago was a really special team, and they they won a lot. I think they won four or five events in the fall that year. Maybe scaled back a little in the spring, but were still really good. I think they were second or third going into um, Karsten Creek. But a lot of them really feel like this team reminds them a lot of that squad, but but even better. Um, you almost sit back and say, well, of course they're going to say that. You have to have confidence if you're g- going to win. But I actually kind of believe that because we talk, we list, just listened to Chris Zambri talk about the that quote-unquote formula to get it done with Stanford having the two studs. Walker Lee's, Walker Lee's a stud. He's, he, he's going to be one of their two best players. He's had an incredible season so far and look for him to continue to – do good things if not win win more events congrats to a&m as walker lee for taking care of business in cabo asu the win there southern cal the win in vegas where parker cootie takes home the individual honor so two big statements by those programs and the individuals and again march is rolling on the momentum is starting to build at this point of the season for the men and the women we were coming up with some potential other topics to dig into and I think we've sort of circled around and realized the substitution rules what we're going to go to next and for those on the outside looking in 99.9% of college golf is five players go out the top four scores count so where you hear you know five count four that's how you post a number pack 12s are different there again some exceptions and conference championships and a couple other events but predominantly five go out four play we'll go back four years ago to the ncaa championships in eugene oregon in the semifinals where bo hostler you might remember it i vividly recall on the 16th i'm in the tower calling that hole he hits a shot and i kiddingly say tongue-in-cheek it was like a sniper took him out from the trees because he tore his labrum game was over he found a way to finish the match 
get the point, the Longhorns go to the national championship. That up and down from the bunker was with, with the, the putter, putter was how about just the, yeah, the four as a whole that he made there on seventeen in Eugene <laughs> against that, USC that week. Correct. Yeah, and Andrew Levitt is former. Uh, they used to have sleepovers together when they were Again, childhood an, friends. Another podcast topic <laughs> down the road. We're getting two in the weeds. Uh, so I remember that whole morning, they're going up against Oregon. Will he play? Won't he play? Will he play? Bo Hostler simply was injured, could not play. So on the first tee, Texas, they shake hands, and they're losing one nothing. So call it what you want. I call it the Bo Hostler rule because within 12 months, the NCAA – said substitutions allowed in the postseason. And bear in mind, the NCAA is only in charge and oversees regionals and nationals. All these other events are run by tournaments, run by volunteers. There is no quote-unquote NCAA-run regular season event. Which is unlike every other college sport. It's it's an outlier because there's manpower, volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. So it's in the postseason. For the men, and the big thing was, well, we want it in the regular season. You know a little more. You've talked to uh, a few coaches than, than probably anyone else out there of where does it stand? Are we going to see this trickle down that each and every event, subs will be brought, subs will be allowed? Where? How much do we see this changing? I... <sighs> Let, let me quickly interject. Yeah. We've seen it in the postseason now. Some teams sub out, and my biggest question was it, it can't be injury-based because you don't know if you're hurt or not. Yeah, yeah you, 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 can, you can't have that stipulation yeah. because it, there's just no way there's to police that. There's too much that. tomfoolery that could happen. So we have seen subs in the past couple of years in the postseason for the most part because someone's struggling, and hey, you know what? We need to change it up. Will we see this from September through April in the regular season anytime soon? As of now, I would give it about a 50-50 chance. And there's several factors that go into that, but I think the NCAA uh, golf committee has been pretty pretty proactive in this, trying to really find out just how many people actually want it. Because, I mean, in, in the working group that they formed, is it's, it's not a super diverse group either. It's a lot of, the non-Power Fives are, are top, ranked schools so it's not like you're getting the 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 ivies and and some of those smaller schools from from some of the coaches that i've talked to it it doesn't seem like it seems about like maybe 60 or 70 percent of college golf does not want subs during during the regular season because it's these smaller schools that a lot of times just don't have the rich get richer yeah they don't have the resources and when we talk about depth having a sub just it expands the divide between the ASUs and the Pepperdines and, and those deep teams and everybody else. And so I just don't think – I think that's going to be a huge sticking point. Um, a couple of weeks ago uh, in my college notebook, I kind of laid out all the different points. Um, rankings are huge. Uh, field sizes there could potentially be um, if you're adding subs, if everyone's bringing a sub um, and you're essentially playing a – you know every team has an individual and they're playing that event anyway. So that way no one's actually just traveling and not playing. You got to college golf takes too long to begin with. Yeah, I love it. Or, it's yeah, too or, long. or, or you're talking about three teams not being able to play. And mm-hmm. what teams do you think are going to be dropped from tournaments? They're, they're right not going to drop 
Texas from from their tournament. They're going to drop those th- those mid major programs, and so that's another thing. Money, as we mentioned, some some schools can afford it, some schools can't. And I mean, yeah, we're talking about an extra plane ticket and. It adds up. Yeah, it adds up. Through 12 events, it's another 20, 30, 40 grand needed in a budget to potentially happen. Where do you stand on it? Well, I'll start here. Do you like it in the postseason? Again, reactionary, and I think rightfully so. I'm going to keep calling it the Bo Hoster rule. Do you like what we have seen in the three years since? Yeah, I I really like it in the postseason because we're talking about a smaller sample size. We're talking about a team that if they make regionals and if they make NCAA championship, even though they may be a low-budget program, their athletic department is going to say, yeah, yeah, couple grand, whatever you need, because you had a great season. Let's let's reward you, or at least most of them are are going to do that. Um, and it's 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 the biggest tournament of the year, and how for for as much as that uh, 2016 final was great with the whole rush in the green and stuff, it really kind of sucked that there was already one point on the board. It's just bad optics for the sport, especially a sport that we're trying to get fans, and so. Um, you know what's what's going to be worse than a, a casual golf fan or someone new to college golf turning on the TV and already seeing one point on the board? They're like, not a shot's been like, hit. What you can't sub like in basketball or football or anything. So I like it during the postseason. I don't like it during the regular season because I just don't think the rankings are going to be able to get sorted out. So this next season they're going to have a trial run where they're, they're going to test it and then. I guess their goal is to implement it before the 2021-22 season. But at the same time, the way GolfStat works is all all these rankings, all these head-to-heads are formulated based on a tournament. Now, they could go round by round, which would solve the substitution problem. But the thing is, is there's another pretty important ranking system called the World Amateur Golf Ranking that just went from round by round to full tournament. And the Wagger's not going to revert and cater back to the NCAA and golf stat. And so a lot of these top players are so worried about Wagger because it determines so much. It determines for the elite guys whether they make the Walker Cup team. It determines what, um, you know, if they get into the U.S. Amateur automatically or they have to qualify. It determines whether they have to go to the first stage of Q school or or local qualifying, all that stuff, and and even some of the smaller events, they they pull from. I think these state opens and state amps exempt like the top seven hundred in the Wagger. So you could potentially see a kid get subbed out, and if he gets subbed out for for one round, he's going to take a loss to every kid in the field, no matter what. And the kid that gets subbed in is taking a loss to everybody in the field in the wagger. So you think a kid is going to like it when their coach pulls him out and all of a sudden his wagger ranking drops and he doesn't get to play in his state am? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a disaster, and that's why I don't think that and with the lack of unanimous support or, or 95 97% support for it, I just don't think it's going to happen. People smarter than us figure out the rankings i i don't go down that rabbit hole but the college rankings important for regional bids i get the wagger rankings uh to heck with them you're a college team a college player you're getting a scholarship uh if it ever got to that thing of hey coach i'm not gonna 
that than just show him the door and his walking papers. Yes, I understand that. <laughs> Cutthroat. But, but it's what Chris Sambry said. Yeah. Who's invested in the team? So if you're if I'm a coach and I hear the wagger, don't worry. We're just going to leave you home. We'll make our decision easier. From the regular season, don't want to see it. The rich get richer. Those with the bigger budgets get it done. I know there are circumstances and situations. Tough break. You know, sometimes you hit a great shot, hits a cart path, hits a sprinkler, head goes over the green. I know that's maybe a short-sighted view of it, but to your point, unless every coach or most of them want to do it, I I see the obvious reason, but I, I think you could solve one problem and then create three more. Yeah, plus college golf has a sub already. That's why they play five count four. That's your sub. And as we saw last year with Iowa and, and SMU, those are very rare circumstances. And I think those could be looked at as separate rules so where we don't have to – because that's honestly one of the main arguments too for subs in the regular season. Well, what if we can't field four scores and we get DQ'd? Well, you know, tough. Yeah. Them the breaks. It happens. It's interesting. I mean, again, I think in the postseason it's great – they better figure it out from A to Z if they're ever going to implement it in the regular season. But how about roll up your sleeves after shooting 78 and figure it out the next day? Well, that's another thing. It's like, how, you know, what, what does it say about a kid who comes out and shoots 78? I mean, he could turn around and shoot 68 yeah. the next day. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things. I think it also sets coaches, it puts them in a tough position where they could potentially make some really dumb choices you could lose a kid yeah and long term it's just more responsibility and more reason for you know your boss to look at you and say well why the heck did you do this Mm -hmm. you know so it's already hard enough something uh, interesting we wanted to kick around so uh we will see if that comes into play in the postseason and if it ever moves forward during the regular season well that's going to end this edition of college golf talk appreciate you as always for joining us for Brentley, I'm Burko. We'll be back again soon as the race to Greyhawk and the NCAA championships continues.